Hello, and welcome to the Kidney Cast. I'm Laura Morris. And I'm Ari Deckard. This is our podcast where I interview Ari about his three kidney transplants and his experiences with Alport syndrome and all of the other medical experiences he's had during his life. Last week, we talked a bit more about home hemodialysis, specifically traveling by airplane. Mm -hmm. We also talked about Ari's mother's experiences with Alport syndrome and her kidney transplant briefly. This week, we're going to take a bit of a break from the story again to talk about something we've kind of promised we were going to talk about at some point down the road, and that is organ donations in fiction and pop culture. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that's surprisingly popular, that it pops up often enough that I'm often kind of surprised, oh, here's another storyline. I used to be a pretty big fan of medical shows, and over time, not just because of this, but because of so many other things coming up that were like a little bit too close to home, I just gradually stopped watching all the doctor shows. But when I was, and even now that I pretty much don't watch them, they just uh, organ transplantation and transplants in general seem to be a popular choice and not always um, handled very well. Do people still recommend medical dramas or movies with organ transplants in them to you? Hasn't happened in a while, but it used to be sometimes, you know, my health history would come up and it would be like, oh, well, have you seen that one thing? And I was like, why would I necessarily have seen that? Why would I be drawn to that? I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Like um, people find out I'm a music teacher and not anymore so much, but say 10, 15 years ago, it was, oh, have you seen Mr. Holland's opus? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I have. Um, I have friends who are in that movie because it was filmed near where I grew up, but I didn't see it just because I was a music teacher. It wasn't like required viewing or something. Well, when people recommend movies to me, oh, Seven Pounds with Will Smith, you'll really like that movie. It's very awkward for me to know how to handle that situation. Mm -hmm. Because as we're about to talk about, a lot of those movies and television shows and books sometimes are bad. Yeah. Or they might be fine, but they they really mishandle the issue. So I think that's probably where we should start, is you and I want to talk about how fictional portrayals of organ donation and transplantation mishandle the issue. Yeah, or occasionally they get some stuff right, but yeah. So, so what would you like to tackle first? What's a <laughs> thing that fiction does in organ transplants that's a mishandling of the issue? Well, I think that one of the biggest faults, um, this is a rather large category, but one of the biggest faults that I see in fictional handling of, of transplantation is the idea that they tend to, because of plot devices or to amp up drama or for a variety of reasons, make transplantation something that is not super appealing, or rather donation is not something that's a good idea. Right. They make it very scary, either a thing that is done unwillingly or a thing that might endanger you to be abused by the medical system or might hurt you. Right, right. That transplantation is sort of an act that is perpetrated on donors by recipients. Even if there's some kind of familial relationship or something else that the recipients are predatory, either as the primary person going, mm, I want your organs, or through, uh, through doctors as agents for them. Right. So one of the things that I wanted to make sure we tackled was the trope of the evil or undeserving organ recipient. Yes. And I think one of the times we first started having this conversation, yeah. when you and I first got kind of a full head of steam about it and talked all <laughs> through dinner or something about this issue, yeah. was after watching an episode of Lost. Oh, yeah. So I'll just brief our audience who may not have watched the TV show Lost. Mm-hmm. The basic structure, right? You've got all these people who've crash landed on the island and mysterious things are happening. <laughs> yes. And and then in every episode, you would get the storyline on the island and some flashback to the mysterious things that happened in these characters' pasts. Right. So one of these characters was John Locke, because this series was not subtle about how it named its characters. No. <laughs> no. And... Part of his tragic backstory was that he had an evil con artist father who he 
was trying to connect with. Maybe he was an absentee father that he finally found somehow in this flashback. He'd always been looking for his dad and he finally found him. And the dad, when he first met him, was super friendly and sweet and wanted to reconnect with his adult son. Mm -hmm. And oh, hey, by the way, he's really sick and he needs a kidney transplant. Right. And so, of course, this nice character that we all like dutifully gives his absentee father a kidney and then wakes up in the hospital after the surgery to find that his father has abandoned him again and flown the coop and never cared about him at all. Right. And he, an adult man, is left screaming and kind of sob crying in the hospital about the theft of his organ because he was emotionally manipulated and tricked into this surgery. Right, right. He's betrayed and his health is not as good and all of that stuff. Yeah. Right, which is especially unfair because... You've had two people that you know and love give Mm -hmm. you kidneys. Their health was not adversely impacted. No. But it also makes it seem like, of course, this is a tragic situation for the character with him being emotionally manipulated by his father. Mm -hmm. But as if now that he's lost this organ, something terrible has happened now that it's not there. Right. And, you know, many people give organs to family members who need them and they are okay. Yeah. And this is not an unusual storyline either. The reconnection with somebody and it turns out oh they need an organ you could just do that right and then okay well we're reconnecting yay this is what i've wanted for decades and then that's all you wanted from me you know and it's it's always sad and i I feel like even we were watching some new tv show recently and we both looked at each other and said oh is that where this is going it's a really it's a common enough storyline that it's a trope Right, and it's often a really wealthy person who abuses the poorer donor or somebody economically exploits someone. Right. Or there's something, you know, rich people can get anything, even body parts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and that's actually illegal. You cannot pay for anything. You're not allowed to, as a transplant recipient or potential recipient, pay for somebody to donate organs to you. Um, that's a huge, huge no-no. You'd be in violation of, I think, several UNOS rules. Uh, so you can't advertise on Craigslist. You can't do any of that. It's a, it's a good, strong rule that's there for a reason in America, and it's, um, it works, and it should be there. And yet there's this fictional idea that, well, but it, it actually happens, and it almost certainly does not. Do you have other favorite, or favorite in quote, <laughs> vil- villainous transplant recipients of fiction? Well, this is well before I had a transplant, or maybe even before I personally had heard the word transplant, especially in relationship to me. Like, I knew what one was, but it wasn't on my personal radar as something that might be in my future. There was a period in my childhood when I would have still been in elementary school when I think occasionally... I don't know when this would have been. It might have even been in syndication. I don't know. But I I watched a few episodes of Highway to Heaven and... Um, so this is quality television. Well, I, I yeah, I, I don't even know if I can judge that from from where I was at the time. But I even still remember this one episode. I remember like nothing about that show except the credits a little bit. And there was some episode where this transplant happened or was going to happen or they wanted it to happen and they decided to make it the most black and white they could in the 80s and so one of the people i'm going to say the recipient was a nazi and the donor was jewish and so and those could have been switched i don't really seems like it'd be more dramatic if it were switched it probably was switched then i i'm not sure but there was a lot of like, could I even take this kidney? Could I even give this kidney? Oh my goodness, how could I? And then somebody died and then they really needed it. And so it happened anyway. And, you know, giant red flaming letters, moral quandary. And so, you know, then they had some pat ending on it. Like, well, but it was the right thing to do and you're alive. And maybe this person was redeemed anyway, even though, you know, they participated in this awful genocide. It, it's like, Let's take this thing that uh, that exists and somehow amp up the drama by having some, like I said, moral quandary about the donation or re- receiving something from this person. 
I'm reasonably certain there's been at least one storyline where there's like some super racist dude who finds out that, uh-oh, his donor was black. How can I live with myself? And it's weird. It's unnecessary. And I'm not saying that there hasn't been somebody who might have been in that situation, but it's so pat and simplistic and um, manipulative. And like, I guess part of what I also feel is like, well, there are probably other situations that I don't have a personal stake in where I watched on TV and go, oh, interesting, nice treatment of that subject. And then somebody else in some other area of of the world or of their life is going like, hey, that's terrible the way you handled that. And I'm being the person who thinks it's wonderful. So, you know, I try to sort of temper my, (laughs) I don't know, my frustration and annoyance and, uh, hair pulling uh, with that knowledge, but at the same time, you know, and it's also, it's, it's just entertainment, but at the same time, I know that it does directly influence people's opinions and views about whether they want to be an organ donor. And there's a lot of people on that list who really need an organ who don't get it, perhaps in part because of what I guess I'm going to say are sort of irresponsible storylines sometimes in movies and TV. And I think we should talk about that more. Yeah. But before we do that, let's discuss some more irresponsible storylines, shall we? (laughs) Because I also think at some point, every Netflix original series is going to have at least one evil transplant recipient. (laughs) Mm -hmm. President Kevin Spacey on House of Cards has received a liver last season. Yes. There were several sort of tropes in play there. One was he's super rich and powerful and important, so he gets to jump ahead on the list. Right, and somebody else dies. Somebody else died. Um, And they, like, really hammered it home, and it was this person, and he had kids and stuff like that. Not a thing that would actually happen, I don't think. I mean, if the president needed a transplant, I wonder a little bit, because that is the president. That's a pretty important person, but Yunos has pretty strict rules. So there was that aspect then there was the whole um this is less common but sort of transplant as a catalyst for magic (laughs) Um, trope i mean there definitely have been storylines on tv where usually this is more actual cartoon shows or cartoonier shows where, you know, somebody received, like, a serial killer's heart, and so they become a serial killer. And, I mean, that's goofy. I'm I'm a little bit on board with that level of goofiness. But there is an idea in the popular consciousness that someone becomes a little bit more like the person whose organ they received, especially if it's a heart because heart has... Symbolism. Symbolism, Yeah. But in this case, the transplant did not make him a better person. He remains... He remains... A villain. Terrible guy, president, person. The one thing I will applaud mm-hmm. about that storyline, about the way they handled it, is that they actually made him look like crap when his liver was failing. They did. Because a lot of times, you know, television and film, you want all of your actors to look attractive and beautiful. And so you get, you know, the merchant ivory prostitute dying of consumption she only looks more lovely as she wastes away <laughs> and they actually made kevin spacey look terrible and so i i appreciate that yeah that's you know, true people who are dying of organ failure don't look good no so you know there's the magic thing where he went on all these weird vision quests as a result of being a transplant recipient i suppose you could hand wave and say well it was the drugs but I've been on those drugs and despite an episode we did about hallucinations those were not the pain meds Those were other things that do other things. Like pain meds give me weird dreams and other people I know who've been on those same meds have weird dreams, but they are not the kind of, I met my father or whatever. You never made out with Corey Stoll in a dream? No, I I did not. I I didn't. Especially not because I knew I had murdered him. And so, yeah, no, none of that, none of that has happened. I just have really vivid dreams that then I forget. Right. If anybody was planning to watch House of Cards at this point who hasn't yet, uh, sorry. Spoilers. He has some surgery and weird things happen. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, the other thing that was very strange, the transplant has done its job dramatically and now on with the show. And so, I don't know, it was three days after he had had his transplant and he was sitting in a chair, which can happen usually with help. 
and he's well, sitting there. Well, they had there. his wife take him to the chair. Right. She took him to the chair, and then he's just like, oh, I'm going to stand up now. And he didn't, like, use the armrest laboriously or something, or the way that a doctor would tell you to do so that you don't hurt your incision. He just stood up. And this is not me complaining about his acting. This is just me complaining, like, they didn't think this through. That if you're going to give somebody major abdominal surgery of any kind, that he's going to be actually in real pain for a long time. And they kind of thought it through in the sense that, well, as the president, he shouldn't be presidenting right away, but that as the kind of character he is, he would say, never mind that, I'm going to do it anyway, um, in a different accent and probably spoken directly to the camera. And so, yeah, he just sort of stood up, and then from then on, he seemed kind of okay unless they wanted to have him dramatically go, oh, I'm hurting from my incision. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that's actually fairly typical of the way that that's portrayed. And Right, a character is a transplant recipient, and then once that storyline is done, it is never mentioned again. Right, it's just completely done. Um, it's it's over. That the It's like the event is the transplant. In, a, in sort of a similar way, actually, to the way um, romantic comedies treat weddings. That is, if the relationship is victorious, you know, it's a, it's a victory condition because they got married. That And everybody who's ever been married knows it's smooth sailing it, after that's that. That's right. Well, it doesn't matter because the marriage is all that, that matters. And so the, the transplant is the end point. And anybody who's ever had a transplant or knows somebody who has knows that the transplant is a point. And in many ways, it's the start point. It's a start point that's really, really good. It's an end point of a lot of bad things. But it's not a destination. It's a it's a pause. It's an arrival point. And it's a very important one, but it's not like, yay, done. And then you kind of dust off your hands and everything is just goes on from there. That's a really not true narrative in the immediate or long-term sense of um, of a transplant. Well, and touching on both this and the evil recipient trope is the other Netflix series, Jessica Jones, where the villain in that story, played by David Tennant, is an evil kidney recipient. Mm -hmm. It's actually part of how she manages to initially track him down is that she finds the person he stole organs from. Yes. And the guy has a home dialysis machine, which, which we sort of cheered about when we saw it on TV. Right. I remember it being the large size, not right. actually home hemo portable thing that I had. But yes, he was doing dialysis at home, which was nice, I guess. Right. But then the other thing about that story is... They establish he's this evil person who stole an organ, mm -hmm. and then the transplant is not relevant at all for the rest of the show. Right. He's going about eviling without needing to take any meds. Yeah. I, I. Especially because later they lock him in that weird glass room for a period of several days, and I assume that mm -hmm. they're not bringing him meds. So I was thinking, she doesn't have to use super strength to kill him. She could just leave him there. Right. That's true. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what I remember is that he had kind of a trail of people that he just, maybe he didn't even take the meds. He just said, well, now I need new organs, so I'm going to get them. But I don't remember for sure. The reason that guy was on dialysis too, it's maybe, you may bear mentioning because they actually knew this, is that usually when you receive a kidney from somebody, you receive a kidney. But because this guy was just that evil, he had taken both kidneys from this man, which meant the man had no kidneys and needed dialysis to live like dialysis all the time. It wasn't like most of us have like, you know, a teeny bit of function and then we were on dialysis. He had no kidneys at all. And I think now we've thoroughly discussed the the evil recipients of right. fiction. Right, because they're, they're, they're viewed as predators. And so it's, it's so common that a lot of people really have that, that view in some sense. Um, and so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that just like from a little bit more seriously in that, there are actual people who die on the waiting list every year. 22 people a day. Right. Because, so every day, because people don't um, sign their organ donor card or don't indicate on their driver's license that they're willing to be organ donors, there are real consequences. And I know about that not just because, well, I've seen that, that I've read research about that sort of thing, that it actually does directly impact people's decisions. Where they've they've done that research about that. But I also know that, you know, I, I've mentioned several times, I tell my story to my students. And on more than one occasion, when I take questions at the end, I've had a kid say 
something like, who'd you take the kidney from? Which is not what I had said. It's not how I portrayed it. And it's, I mean, it's sort of an inappropriate way to phrase the question to your teacher, but that's really beside the point. That like, it's a really aggressive view and a hostile view of the process. You know, in no way did I take a kidney from anybody. And, you know, I said received always and that it was important to me because it's not just because it's the rules of UNOS, but that because it's important to me that, like I said, I wasn't going to offer money or gifts or friendliness or, or anything different because that's not allowed, even though I do feel very grateful to my donors, of course, like very, very, very grateful. But I didn't even feel comfortable asking. Um, some people do, and I, I, I guess I have mixed feelings about that, but like, I didn't feel comfortable, say, sending out an email to my family saying, hey, I need a kidney. Who's up? You know, because, I mean, I just said it in a very crass way on purpose just now, but that's not an okay thing with me because it's so big, because it might impact your health because in the long term, and it definitely impacts your health in the short term and your time and all kinds of other things, that it's got to be something that you've thought about and you've considered for real and offered of your own volition. And so because that's so important to me that when students have said things like that or other people have this kind of attitude like, hmm, you can't trust those people. Because the other thing that comes up sometimes from students is like something about some crazy black market conspiracy that they've heard of, which... Um, people waking up in bathtubs full of ice. People waking up in bathtubs full of ice, which is obviously terrifying, but gross and not true in this country. And it's it's not true because it couldn't be, because if you were to say just steal somebody's organs, you would have no way of tissue typing them effectively or, you know, matching them to somebody, some rich person who can just get what they want because they've got money, which is another media trope that we've discussed, that you couldn't do any of those things with the efficiency you would need to do to just grab somebody in an alley and do this kind of surgery. So I wanted to ask you yeah. personally, how does it feel sometimes to be viewed <laughs> like the evil recipient? Uh, well, really bad. I mean, <laughs> it, it feels really bad because like, I mean, I'm not perfect, of course. Um, I think I'm relatively pretty good as a person, but regardless of even if I wasn't a good person, that shouldn't impact that kind of thing. And the the UNOS rules are very clear about that. It's There's no moral judgment. There's no character test for moving up on the list. There's also no financial test for moving up on the list. Um, and again, I'm talking about a list and we know it's really a pool, but, and that's really as it should be. I have seen this happen to you. And then I've had you relate stories to me of people kind of lecturing you mm -hmm. or telling you that you have to earn or deserve your transplant yeah, or treating you as if your ill health or the fact that you need this thing is somehow a reflection on your character. Right. As if it's some kind of, um, well, the Western view of karmic balance that I must have done something really bad or somehow have done something wrong that earned this. I must have not taken care of myself. And so therefore, obviously I need this kidney thing. And you know, that is true of some people who need organs. Some people who need a heart or lungs or liver or kidneys, you know, were heavy drinkers or smokers or drug users. That's true. It doesn't make them less human or deserving of health care. And plenty of people with fully working organs drink and do drugs <laughs> right. and are mean to their family members and don't give to charity or don't make the most of their life. Right. Uh, we're... We're all humans and we all deserve um, that same kind of equal treatment, in, in my opinion. And so, yeah, there's definitely been situations where it's at least been heavily implied, if not outright stated, that there's a big um, onus on me to be a better person or really earn it um, or make the world go out and make the world a better place. Go out and make the world a better place because, you know, you've had this great gift, so don't squander it. And, you know, honestly, I try not to squander it. Um, 
whatever squander means in that this situation, of course, but I'm pretty sure I'd be doing that anyway. And I think it's this this weird kind of well, unfair attitude and it's not helped by the fact that I am actually one of the lucky ones. I did actually get an organ from being on the list or in two previous cases from not being on the list and many people don't. And we've we've said the statistic a bunch. People die on that in that situation. And so if there wasn't this um disparity, if when people needed a transplant of whatever kind, there were enough donors that they could get one in a timely fashion. I feel like this idea of don't squander it, or the flip side of it, um, you must have done something really wrong to need this from us healthy people who have done nothing to you, and so why would you try to take something from us? Um, which is not always the thing, but is sometimes the thing. I feel like that would really be lessened. So that's why when we're talking about this light, fun thing, and we're laughing about it, this in pop culture is that that's why it's important to me that writers and directors are getting this wrong, that people with story ideas are getting this wrong and putting out stories that perpetuate myths. And those myths change or reinforce attitudes that diminish organ donation lists. And that's really bad. And I want to back up the point that you're making, because this isn't just your opinion. Right. The phenomenon of media portrayals convincing people that they don't want to become organ donors has been studied. Mm -hmm. There's an article I will link to in the show notes, a scientific journal article in Health and Communication from February 2007, Entertainment Miseducation, the Framing of Organ Donation in Entertainment Television, which documents two years of the researchers studying portrayals of organ donation on television. Yeah. And then also correlating that with data, survey data about people talking about their attitudes about organ donation and their fears of it. And that the main way that people get their information about what being a donor might be like is from TV, is from these really melodramatic and inaccurate storylines. Yeah. And that's understandable. They, they point out in the paper too, that unless you know somebody who's been impacted by organ donation or by transplantation, that the only way you're likely to get information about such a thing is through the media. And of course, that's why I think in at least a small way, we as people who have experience with this stuff are creating media of our own here. So there's another, I would hope, more accurate narrative out there. And one of the things that really turns people away is a trope we haven't discussed. Mm -hmm. And we've said sometimes, you know, it's the evil recipient or somebody acting as their proxy. Yes. And the main one is the evil doctor. Oh, yes. The the vulture doctors. Right. And so the storyline often goes, and I can't even tell you all the medical TV shows where this has come up. Oh, yeah. Almost all of them. Where it's somebody who is listed as an organ donor, a good person who did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And they're having a health problem. Maybe they've been declared brain dead. Right. And the doctor, the very vulture, predatory doctor says, oh, I have a patient who needs that liver or needs that heart and wants to immediately harvest the organs. But it turns out, oh, no, the patient could be saved. They're not actually brain dead. Mm -hmm. And the evil doctor wants to kill them, Mm -hmm. which is a murder. Right. And take the organs anyway. Right. Right. And they use that word harvest, which in older transplantation medicine parlance was an actual word that was used but it didn't take them long to realize oh that's gross it creeps people out it creeps people out there's sort of two words that were still a little bit in use when i had my first transplant that are no longer used ever one is harvest and one is cadaveric donation very occasionally actually i still run into like an older doctor usually who just kind of didn't get the memo that you don't say cadaveric donor because that's gross um and really demeaning and dehumanizing it dehumanizes the donor and right makes the donee feel grossed out yeah it, it it definitely makes the recipient feel grossed out and it dehumanizes the donor and thus sort of really diminishes what they did and also their family their loved ones, their people, who had to okay that, usually. And so, obviously, harvest is just disgusting. So they don't say that anymore. People aren't crops. Right. And we don't just have spare parts. 
<laughs> we talk about deceased donors and we talk about living donors, but we don't talk about cadaveric donors because that's disgusting. And I need to stop saying it because it's creeping me out. So yeah, the doctor's coming in and going like, all right, uh, just let me know when they're dead is so gross. And it happens a lot. A lot. And I want to say this really, really clearly. That doesn't happen. No. Because people are terrified of it. It's one of the main reasons people list as why they don't want to be organ donors. Because they yeah. don't want somebody, if they're in the hospital and they're in a coma, they don't want some doctor unplugging them so they can steal their organs. Right. Or just to let them die and not use life-saving measures. And I've heard kids say that too. Um, and there's another aspect of this also, which is that idea that like, I have a patient who needs that liver because that's not how that works either. Probably that liver is going to somebody in Cincinnati or somewhere else. It's the United Network for Organ Sharing. Even with when they had more local state lists and things like that, organs go to the best match, usually. There are sometimes are time constraints, but almost always an organ goes to the best match, and that is usually not somebody who, surprise, surprise, is in the same hospital as where somebody died, because that would be a remarkable coincidence if you were trying to treat this patient in the ER and your friend, the transplant doctor, two floors up, was like, oh my goodness, this happens to be a perfect match for my patient. That doesn't happen, and even if it did, they're not going to come down rubbing their hands like a vampire because they're human beings who don't who are doctors. Right, and people <laughs> become do doctors that. because they want to help people. Right. And not just their people. Well, because everything is their people. Right. You know, the person in the coma or the person that they need to save who's a potential organ donor is also a patient, is also somebody they will work to the very end to save. Yeah. I just, I want to say it again and again. That doesn't happen. It's the number one thing people are afraid of that they avoid becoming organ donors because of, and it doesn't happen. No, it doesn't and it's, happen. It's a myth. It's a lie that kills people. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, another one that comes up a lot is um, the parents of a child who is sickly or needs a transplant <laughs> oh, yeah. who have another child that they can basically use as an organ farm or a bone marrow farm to save the other kid. Right. Yeah. Um, My Sister's Keeper, that movie, is about oh, that. Yeah, there was yeah. an episode of CSI where this happened. Uh -huh. The parents never seem to love the second child as much. They're only right. a farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's definitely about the sort of spare parts thing. And in this paper that we were referencing, they, they discuss it that way, that the the idea of dehumanization that I was mentioning earlier is a really closely related idea that once somebody living or deceased has donated organs or body parts, that they are no longer important. They're no longer a real human or relevant to the plot. That the only thing that matters is this, you know, this person who just needed parts. And that, of course, plays, again, a role in people's view of, well, I don't want to be just this person who's servicing someone else and then nobody cares about me. And that's not how the system treats donors at all. It's not how recipients treat donors. It's not how that works. You know, our medical system is really about taking care of everybody. You know, we discussed this when we first talked about transplants, that that whole process is focused on the donor. All the prep process is focused on the donor, on can they be okay if we do this major surgery and take away an organ, because that's a serious thing. It's taken as a given that if you're going to take somebody who is very ill in organ failure and you give them a working organ, they're going to do better. And they know how to do that and they have all the meds that they need, but that the, the person giving the organ is every bit as important and you're going to actually maybe impact their medical life negatively. And you know, the Hippocratic Oath is a real thing that people take really seriously, and they should. And so that nobody wants to do a donor harm by accident or definitely not on purpose. And so, yeah, this idea of like, oh, we'll have a second child. Ugh, like, it just seems to happen a lot on TV and not an awful lot in real life. And to, I guess, tie a lot of these things together. Yeah. The idea of these parents who are abusing their second child mm -hmm. to save their first child or the, the evil organ recipient is that it's taking people, the parents of a sick kid, right. and casting them as the villain, or a person who needs a transplant, somebody who is in a desperate, life-or-death, gun-to-the-head situation, right. and making them the villain. And yeah. 
I think a lot of that happens because somebody needs to write a television episode or a movie, right? And they want it to be dramatic. There needs mm-hmm. to be, like you said, moral stakes, big questions. <laughs> yeah. There need to be bad people and good people and ambiguous people. But I think there is a bias because whoever's going to be doing the writing probably has never been on the side of somebody who needs an organ. That would be rare. Right. And so I think naturally their ideas or sympathies tend to be with the person who might be giving or a bystander who might be observing the situation. And so those stories tend to drift. It's easy to make the person you've never identified with the bad guy. Oh, of course. And it's easy to vilify people who you might not want to feel so bad for. Mm-hmm. I would also argue, and this is this is a little bit on the other hand, that especially as I've gotten older and have consumed more and more media, I start to feel like there's a fair amount of, I don't know what to call it, but there's sort of a bubble. Like we all kind of create a social bubble for ourselves. Like we curate our friends and you know, we do this with Facebook, but also in real life where like we tend to hang out with people who at the very least don't annoy us too much and generally who we agree with. And so, but there's this other thing in Hollywood, I guess, where writers and directors and people like that of TV shows and film consume a great number of TV shows and films. And, you know, they also read books and things like that. And so, Of course, you see actual plots and actual movies and actual TV shows recycled, but some of these ideas just kind of stick around. Like, just as the general public has ideas about transplantation that are informed by the media, so do the next generation of writers for TV. Like, why should I bother doing my own independent research? I know these things. I don't know where I know them from, but I know these things. And it's because there have been now generations of storylines like these and so they go like oh yeah what if we did one of those kind of things right it suddenly just becomes the facts instead of a thing another writer 20 years ago made up right so since we're talking about pop culture okay i wanted to take or borrow perhaps (laughs) uh something that uh from one of my favorite pop culture podcasts npr's pop culture happy hour Mm -hmm. where they often do fun quizzes Okay. So I thought I might quiz you Uh about organ donation in fiction and pop culture. Okay. I'm probably going to do terrible on this. It'll be fun. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Okay. So my first question for you, I'm going to read you a quote from fiction's first and probably first, but certainly one of the most famous organ donation recipients in all of fiction. Okay. I'm going to read you the quote and I want you to tell me who the character is. Okay. Okay. It is true that I am a wretch. I have murdered the lovely and the helpless. I have strangled the innocent as they slept and grasped to death his throat who never injured me or any living thing. I have devoted my creator, the select specimen of all that is worthy of love and admiration among men, to misery. I have pursued him even to that irredeemable ruin. There he lies, white and cold in death. You hate me, but your abhorrence cannot equal that with which I regard myself. Hmm. That would be Frankenstein's monster, I believe. Yes. Yay. Okay. Question number two. Yes. Which of these is not a story (laughs) about clones or other people raised and bred to be killed and serve as organ donors for the rich and powerful? Killed as organ donors. Okay. A. The island. B. Extreme measures. (laughs) C. Unwind. D. Never let me go. Three of those are about victims of organ theft. <laughs> okay. One of them is not. Um, all right. I'm going to millionaire this. So um, the island, I think, has to be it because obviously they would do that on an island. Extreme Measures is a book that you buy in the airport bookstore that is totally about this kind of thing. Unwind is a tricky one because... It's sort of a nonsensical title, except it might not be if I'd read the book or seen the movie. And what was the last one? Never Let Me Go. Never uh, Never Let Me Go is either a Danielle Steele novel or, or a Lifetime movie or something about this. So I, I'm going to say Unwind. I'm probably wrong, though. Unwind is a 2007 <laughs> science fiction novel by uh-huh. young adult literature author Neil Shusterman. takes place in the United States after a civil war in the near future. After a civil war is fought over abortion, a compromise is reached, allowing parents to sign an order for their children between the ages of 13 and 18 years to be unwound, taken to harvest camps, and having their body parts harvested for later use. Gross. 
I don't want to go to harvest camp. The crafts are terrible. No one wants to go canoeing with me at harvest camp. All right, I should. That's really dark. I shouldn't be making that joke. So, okay, which one is it then? Extreme Measures. Oh, really? That's a movie with Hugh Grant <laughs> where um, doctors are doing terrible medical experiments on homeless people. Oh, so way better. Okay, so which of these movies is not about a transplant recipient receiving evil body parts? Okay. A, idle hands. B, hands of a stranger. <laughs> C, the eye. D, body parts. Um, okay, idle hands, I remember the previews for that. That's, I think, almost definitely <laughs> a terrible transplant thing. I, there aren't that many actual hand transplants, I don't think, and yet they must be evil. Uh, sorry, the second one was? Hands of a stranger. Okay, maybe. Then the eye, which I think I've heard of, which would obviously be about an eye transplant. And what's the last one? Body parts. Body parts. I think it's the second one. The second one is not it. B, hands of a stranger. Yes. When a pianist's hands are destroyed in a traffic accident, he receives a double transplant from a murder victim. Much to the bewilderment of the pianist, these new hands have a mind of their own and decide to take control and gain vengeance for their past owner's death, forcing him to commit evil acts. What's an evil act? Like playing Chopin instead of Rachmaninoff? The answer was actually A, idle hands. What? I tricked you. You did see the preview for that. The hands in that movie are demonically possessed. They are not the result of a a transplant. My bad. All right. Okay, this next question I'm going to back up with a little bit of a biographical detail. During that terrible summer where you were in the hospital for months, I spent a bunch of time when I was not waiting for you in the hospital with my parents, and they were catching up on Grey's Anatomy on their DVR. I remember that. And this was the second season of Grey's Anatomy where they had a storyline in which Dr. Izzy Stevens, played by Katherine Heigl, fell in love with a guy who needed a heart transplant, played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I'm sure that went fine. It was a dramatic storyline packed with incident. (laughs) So I'm going to read you a list of plot points. Oh, no. And I want you to tell me which one did not happen in this storyline. Okay. (laughs) Okay. A. There's a heart, and it's a match for Denny, the transplant patient that she loves. But it might go to another patient. And so in order to convince the board to give him the heart, Izzy creates an emergency by cutting Denny's LVAD line, endangering his life so that he can get the heart. Okay. B. While bringing Denny's heart in a cooler to be transplanted, (laughs) heart surgeon Preston Burke, played by Isaiah Washington, is walking through the parking lot and is shot so he cannot perform the transplant surgery. Okay. C. After Denny awakes from his transplant (laughs) surgery and while he's recovering, he and Izzy might finally be happy. But soon after, his estranged wife, played by Kate Walsh, reappears in his life. In an effort to fix his marriage, he dumps Izzy, leaving her with a broken heart. And then finally, D. There are complications with Denny's transplant and he dies of heart failure. After his death, Izzy keeps seeing visions of his ghost around the hospital and they eventually have ghost sex. Which of those things did not happen? Well, I have either seen some of these episodes or clips or something, because I actually have some memories of this, which is surprising to me as it is to you. So I remember her clamping that line to cause an emergency. So A is a true thing that actually happened on an American TV show. It was super responsible. Um, B was Isaiah Washington gets shot so he can't perform the surgery. Yep. That seems pretty legit for that show. And then I know that the ghost thing happened, even though that sounds like the most ridiculous thing. I don't believe I saw that, but it was big enough news, at at least in some sphere that I saw that I know that that is true. So it's either B or C that he tries to rekindle something with his ex, but I don't think that he did. And I feel like I remember Isaiah Washington like being shot on that show. So I'm going to say C, tried to rekindle with Kate Walsh or something. You are correct. Yay! Kate Walsh played Patrick Dempsey's ex-wife. Oh, okay. Good to know. Okay. In the season 10 episode of The Simpsons, Kidney Trouble, one of the six members of the Simpson family receives a kidney transplant. Who is it? <sighs> um, it's almost certainly Homer. Wait, six? Oh, I guess it could be Grandpa Simpson. Is he the sixth? Okay. I don't think it's Lisa. I'd be shocked if it was Maggie. Probably not Marge. It's probably not Bart. 
Like, it could really be any of them for any reason, because it's The Simpsons. I'm going to say Homer. It's Grandpa Simpson. Dang it. Okay, for a bonus point, who yes. gave him a kidney? Oh, Homer. You're did. right, yes. Yeah, Homer um, would have had to, yeah. Homer is initially very reluctant to give him a transplant and runs away. <laughs> the devil, you say? At the very end of the episode, he's going to do the surgery, and he panics, runs out of the hospital, and is hit by a truck, <laughs> and then wakes up, you know, in a full-body cast, and Dr. Hibbert tells him that, well, while he was out, he also stole his kidney to give to his father. Right, so right along, right in line with everything else we've been talking about. Okay, and then since we're nerds, I'm going to end things with a string of Star Trek questions. How dare you? First, an easy one. Mm -hmm. One of the Star Trek captains is an organ transplant recipient. Mm -hmm. Which one? Um, that's actually only sort of accurate. Picard has an artificial heart, which is not quite the same. You're right. He was stabbed in the heart by a Nausicaan when he was a young officer, etc. <laughs> and there are complications a couple of times. Okay. Second Star Trek question. Mm -hmm. In the infamous third season premiere of the original series, uh -huh. unintelligent go-go boot-wearing aliens steal an organ from a member of the Enterprise what? crew. Who is the crew member and oh. what is the organ? Okay, for a second I was like, wait, seriously? Because I was thinking about kidneys. So I believe the name of the episode is Spock's Brain, which is correct. also my answer. <laughs> In another Star Trek organ theft episode, wow. the crew of Voyager encounters a group of sickly organ-robbing aliens, and Neelix <laughs> becomes their victim. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. What do they steal from him? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Well, okay, it wasn't his brain, I assume. I feel like it could be anything, because this is space science. You know, if you can take Spock's brain, I think it would be dumb if it was a kidney, but it's also a little bit more topical, and I'm thinking about this too much. But I think it was more, something more serious, like lungs or heart. Final answer. Lungs. You are correct. It was his lungs. Okay. Yay. Can I say this, too? This is the interesting thing about the fact that there was a weird, in a sense, I guess, organ-stealing storyline on the original Star Trek because the first transplant was in like 1963 or so. This would have been cutting edge or even, pardon the, the term, bleeding edge science at the time. It's interesting that it, that kind of maybe panic or something goes back right to the start. Well, that's the end of your quiz. Okay. I think you did very well. Th thanks. So I'm glad I did well at the quiz. I, I guess I have a couple of other thoughts that we didn't really have a place to put. We spoke about how sometimes there's this idea that, well, oh, you got a serial killer's heart, so now you've changed, or the possessed organ, or something like that. There have also been a few too many, which is a number greater than zero, like romantic comedies or something like that, where, again, because of the symbolism of the heart, somebody gets a heart, and then they change to be more like the person that they received the heart from, and then they end up getting together with their donor's previous partner, and it's weird and kind of gross and strange. And I, I feel like that kind of relates to um, a different kind of thing than we've been talking about, which is sort of sometimes the fetishization of medical trauma. I realize this is maybe a somewhat controversial position, but every once in a while there's some kind of video of... You know, it's usually a heart transplant because that means that somebody had to die. But somebody has received a heart from a, a loved one and the family member of the loved one who donated the heart then gets to feel their heart still beating. And it's it's a very moving thing. It's treated that way. And um, I have certainly cried at my share of those videos. But there's another part of me that feels really weird and uncomfortable about that um, because, because well, I was going to say because, and I, I almost don't even know why, but it, it feels like this kind of thing that uh, we've talked about several times that happens where this idea that through tragedy, good must come, or I don't know, something kind of like that, I guess. Well... Because you're a real person. Yeah. And you're not, I guess, a surrogate for someone else's loved one, even if you are the recipient of incredible kindness. Mm-hmm. That there's a lot of pressure and a feeling of indebtedness that you can't, you can't ever close that loop. You can't, 
you can't be enough of whatever that other person might like to make up for the fact that the person that they do love is gone. Yeah, I think that's that's very true. And that's a really good, not surprisingly, succinct uh, explanation of what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, and then on the other hand, for me, I think that um, especially if someone has died and I have received something from them, you know, I I want to give back what I can um, emotionally, you know, uh, show that I I haven't just like I was talking about earlier squandered that opportunity. Um, that's it's important to me because it it is a big deal and i'm not the cause of that loss but i am weirdly the beneficiary of it and it's while there's that's sort of like a, a silver lining kind of situation that there is a beneficiary from the loss that it's still a loss and um i am still somehow uh, some kind of connection to the person who uh, who is gone. And so, like, I do feel uncomfortable with that kind of thing, but at the same time, I feel pretty, I guess, deeply tied to it. So <laughs> uh, moving away from that to, I think, you know, we, we did some Star Trek stuff, but we ignored my absolute favorite, maybe Star Trek scene, maybe ever. Oh, okay. And I... <laughs> I like a lot of Star Trek stuff. That's right. I said it. Uh, I do. And uh, this is actually a really old reference at this point. I would generally say that I'm a next generation person. This is not particularly relevant. But um, as a kid, I watched all of the original series movies. And I really liked them. In fact, for a fairly long time, that was my understanding of those characters more than the actual original series was. And so in Star Trek four, which is a fun movie, one that I still enjoy. Is this the one with the whales? This is the one with the whales. So in Star Trek four subtitled the voyage home, our heroes have traveled back in time to save the whales. It was very topical. And the movie has, and the cast has, a lot of fun playing around with the idea that people from our idealized future are visiting the 80s in the United States. So there's pop culture stuff, but there's also stuff about the technology of the time. So you have Mr. Scott trying to understand how to use a 1980s era computer with a mouse and a keyboard, heaven forbid. Lots of stuff. If you've seen the movie, great. If you haven't, well, you're missing out because it's really... <laughs> One of my favorite Star Trek movies. But it has this scene where Dr. McCoy, everybody's favorite um, irascible doctor, is, for reasons, um, disguised in a modern hospital walking around. And there is a very old lady from Central Casting in a bed in the hall. And he stops by, and she's, like, groaning and lying on this bed. And he, he says, what's the matter with you? And she kind of goes, kidney dialysis. <laughs> and the time I saw this movie, I had had my first transplant. And he seems shocked. And he goes, dialysis? And then he mutters to himself, what is this, the dark ages? And so he turns back to her and he hands her a large white pill that he just grabs out of his bag. Like He doesn't search through or anything. He just like reaches into his bag, grabs his pill, plops it in her hand. And he says, you swallow that, and if you have any more problems, just call me. And then he, like, pats her on the cheek, which is weird. And she looks confused because she's on dialysis, also because that's a weird thing to do. And then a little while later, she's being wheeled down the hall in a, a wheelchair, and she's, like, really energetic. And she just sort of shouts, and our heroes are going off doing something else. She shouts, the doctor gave me a pill, and I grew a new kidney. The doctor gave me a pill, and I grew a new kidney. And there's two regular doctors there. One says, fully functional? And the other one says, yeah, fully functional. And I've watched that, that clip on YouTube, now that YouTube exists, so many times because it's hilarious to me. And at the time when I first saw it, I thought, well, we need that pill right now. And, you know, of course it's never going to happen. But I enjoyed that sort of peek into future medicine where apparently you have a pill that just grows kidneys or whatever it does. And then 
because we were preparing for this, I poked around on the internet, and of course there's lengthy threads in various places speculating, well, was it nanites? Well, how could this have happened? Well, what would this be? And does everybody just carry a kidney pill in their doctor bag in the 24th century? And, you know, all kinds of things like that. And I wanted to mention it because it's not really about transplantation. I mean, it sort of is. She has a whole brand new kidney, but it's an actual recognition in in pop culture of the fact that dialysis exists, it's bad, and we wish there was a better solution for it. Um, it's one of the few pop culture references to dialysis I know of. The other one is a song from Wicked, um, which is also funny. But anyway, look that up. Enjoy her gleeful joy of this very old woman in, in that movie. And I wanted to finish up with some listener mail that I actually saved for this episode. Okay. Tim writes, there are a lot of cliches and tropes that exist around transplant recipients and the process in general. Is there a trope or cliche that gets it right? Huh. Um. For the record, when I'm editing the episode, I normally take out long pauses. And since we're recording this now, I might do so again. But just so you know, that was a long pause on both <laughs> our parts as we searched our memories for... <laughs> A good version of the trope. Yeah. To be fair, there was a whole TV series, I think, called Three Rivers mm -hmm. that was supposed to be about transplants that I never watched. Yeah, I knew I wasn't going to be comfortable watching it because either it was going to get stuff right and it was going to be too close or it was going to... Too close for you emotionally. Right. Too close for me emotionally or more than likely it was going to really not get things right and go down the path of all these other things that we've talked about and it was just going to be really upsetting and i'm pretty sure i read that it did the second thing i'm having trouble and I, I know there are a couple of times where things have been gotten right um i was a big watcher of er for a long time and there was definitely a situation where uh, somebody was brought into the er and they either had a kidney or liver transplant, and maybe they'd been hit by a car or something else had happened. And I was annoyed with it at first, and then it was actually a decent handling of the situation. It wasn't really a trope. It was just they decided to do this storyline that was kind of interesting because they asked him to—he was conscious, and so they asked him to list his medications, and— he started listing them and said prednisone. And he said, um, well, he mispronounced it, but he said Imuran. And I was annoyed because he mispronounced it. I'm like, really? Can't you get a consultant on this show? But he said that, and I think he said cyclosporin. And well before the doctors realized that, I realized what they were doing. You know, they had named three standard post-transplant meds. And you don't do that by accident. And I said, oh, he's a transplant patient. And nobody else I was watching it with knew what I was talking about. And then that was what it was about, that I'm probably going to get some of this wrong, but that he had had been having some trouble with his transplant and was pretty sure that it was probably on its way to failing. And his son was getting married. This is all if I remember correctly. His son was getting married and he thought, well, I could have one glass of champagne and I'm not supposed to because I have a transplant, but it's failing anyway. What's it going to hurt? My son's getting married. And so he did. And so then there was this conversation. Like, we took a blood test. It shows a blood alcohol content that's very low, and he admitted it. So we're supposed to preclude him now that we found that his, for real, that his transplant is failing. We're supposed to tell Yunos he can't have another organ. Right. Blacklisting, which we talked about. Yeah. But... Is that really fair? Who else wouldn't have done this? And we wouldn't even known if this thing that wasn't his fault where he got hit by a car. I'm probably messing up a bunch of details. But it was interesting because it was somebody had clearly done some research and gone, oh, this is an interesting little thing. He wasn't really being demonized. It wasn't about, well, he took that organ from somebody else. It's just he has a transplant. That is his situation. And that comes with a few extra special rules. And... What do we do about that? And that was common for things that ER did. Um, so I would say that basically got it right. I will also say, and this isn't this is less getting it right and more a rare movie that had a transplant in it that I liked. Mm -hmm. Because pretty much, if it's about organ transplants, I'm gonna hate it. Don't recommend those movies to me. Mm -hmm. But um, Todo sobre mi madre, mm. or All About My Mother, is the English title. It's a Spanish movie. 
has a, a heart transplant in it. Right. And I think the thing I'll say about that that I like about that is that it isn't the primary focus of the movie. Okay. Right, because it's all about his mother. Right. <laughs> but it's an inciting incident. And then the movie goes in lots of other directions. And the way the transplant happens in the movie, it's more of an abstraction and more of a thematic idea because the movie really deals with ideas of transformation and um, the human body. It deals with people who are surrogates for one another Mm -hmm. and the things that people do for one another, particularly the, the things that women do for one another. Right. And I'm just thinking right now that maybe that's the best way I can think of for somebody to get it right Hmm. is that Mm -hmm. this is a very, it's Pedro Almodovar. So it's a melodramatic universe. It's a weird movie, Mm -hmm. but it's abstract. And I think that sometimes art is better at dealing with things in abstraction that a feeling arises of it that feels right, even if it's not accurate at all. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually just thought of sort of one and a half other examples. (laughs) I'm realizing that my references are very old because I've mostly avoided this kind of thing for a long time. Around the time of my first transplant, a year or two afterwards, I think, there was an NYPD Blue long, long arc about Detective Simone, played by Jimmy Smits, who needed a heart transplant and then received one that I thought they handled very well. And one of the ways they handled it well was this was how that actor was leaving the show. That character died of not wanting to work with David Milch anymore. That is exactly how that character died. (laughs) But that they did things that did amp some stuff up, but they portrayed some things that I know do happen. You know, I it was a heart transplant, which is a really different situation from mine and from basically everybody I know that has had a transplant. But... He got sicker and sicker, was unable to work eventually, and was just very sick and uh, bed-bound and came close to actually dying. And then, of course, came close to actually dying before receiving the heart and got it at the last minute because that always happens on TV. But in real life, that's sort of how it happens with some of those more, I was going to say, severe transplants because you've got to be sick enough that you have enough points that you're at the top of the pool or the list It's bad in that way. So he managed to get the heart, but then he died of sepsis. He got an infection, which can happen in surgery. And it's like, it's not even malpractice usually. It's just, that's a thing that can happen. It's a serious, serious risk when you do a giant surgery like that. And so, yeah, he became septic and and died. But there was also some stuff where there was conflict between doctors about how to handle his case, which doesn't usually happen, but can happen around transplant situations where it's not going well. That's a pretty dark and tragic version, but one of the reasons I kind of like it, I'm saying like in a really mild sense, is that usually, like I said, transplant is a destination if it's a thing that occurs. And so it's like, yeah, you got the transplant, done, hooray. And then never mentioned again, or maybe occasionally because they need some point to make. And in this case, I mean, it was sort of a final destination, I suppose, but the point was just getting it isn't the whole thing. Sometimes there's other risks. Sometimes it doesn't work. And while that may actually have hurt the the case that I hope that we're kind of making, which is like, no, do it. It's really good. Uh, it was also at least realistic. Um, and then the I said half because I didn't actually see this, but I have a memory that somebody told me that I think the last season of Hawaii Five-0 had some kind of organ transplant in it that was handled fairly realistically. So that's a really recent... Are you bringing hearsay into my podcast? Indeed, madam, I am. But it's very recent. So maybe it's a sign that People are kind of getting with the program and have better information now. I hope it is. But like I said, it is in fact hearsay. I did not actually see it. But as I recall, it came from somebody I trusted to know these things are correct. And we've gone a bit long. We'll see what our final runtime is when <laughs> okay. I edit all this meandering down. So I'm going to ask you my final question. Uh-huh. How are you feeling? Uh, you know, I was uh, just to meander a little bit further. I was thinking about this recently that... I wanted to include this part of the podcast just sort of as a a record-keeping thing almost. And I've noticed that the last however many podcasts, I say, hey, I'm really tired. I'm really exhausted, worn out. 
And that's still true. I'm still tired. I also am now actually a little bit sick. I can tell I'm a little stuffed up. I'm kind of amazed that it's taken about four or five weeks of school for that to happen. I've been really careful. I mean, I'm always really careful, but usually it happens faster than that. So kind of fingers crossed and I've I'm going to use all of my coping strategies going forward. I'm, I'm tired, but uh, I've got plans for going forward and doing well. And that's this week's episode. I will provide links to articles like the ones we mentioned on the podcast yeah. so that people can read about this issue. That will be on my website, lauramorris.com, L-A-R-R-A-M-O-R-R-I-S.com, where I've got all the episodes and all the show notes for you to peruse. If you want to send us a question, kidneycast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at kidneycast and on Facebook, facebook.com slash kidneycast. Ari, thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah, of course. And thank you to everybody for listening. 